So what do we make of the Braves 2022 season? You know, the resiliency, how, how these guys kept fighting like they always do. Welcome to the Braves Report, the new podcast of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with our AJC Braves beat reporter, Justin Toscano. And uh, uh, Justin, here's the good news. Uh, pitchers and catchers report in less than four months. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, turning the page quickly and... Um, it's award season too. The Gold Glove Awards are rolling out as we as we do this, and that's kind of what you have to look forward to if you're a Braves fan right now. Yeah, because it is still uh, postseason time. But this show is all about our postmortem. It's our uh, breakdown of what happened in 2022, and to do that, we will be joined coming up by legendary AJC Sports columnist Mark Bradley for his take on what went wrong. Should the Braves have done anything differently? Is something wrong with the new playoff format? And how will this year's team be remembered? Plus, we'll also discuss Matt Olson's first year in Atlanta. What to make of the next wave of baby Braves? How risky are all these extensions? And we've got some of your questions in our Ask Justin segment. If this is your first time listening to the show, or you just haven't gotten around to it yet, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. All right, welcome back, and we welcome in AJC Sports columnist Mark Bradley. Welcome back to the Braves Report, Mark. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for calling me legendary. I take that legendary to me means pretty pretty old, but uh, <laughs> but I appreciate it nonetheless. Well, yeah, yeah, you do have to kind of have some tenure, I guess, to yeah. be legends, unless yeah. you're one of those young legends. I, yeah, I <laughs> but, guess. But, uh, but, but in, in Mark's legendary status, he, he's seen a lot of Braves teams and a lot of ball. Uh, so that's what this show's about, is trying to figure out what happened this year. Now, next week will be all about where the Braves go from here. But, Mark, wouldn't it have just been easier on everybody if last year's team was the one that won 101 games and this year's group won just 88? Yeah, it it it, it seemed like they kind of got, got that backwards because last year's team – looked so good in the postseason that it basically, I think, played above its head, um, you know, and and won the World Series. This year's team played below its head and lost in round one. And, you know, it it's interesting because, you know, the Braves last year in the postseason, you thought, well, you know, they got down, they come back, they could rally, they could, you know, they, you know, they were capable of doing anything. And this year, there wasn't even a lead change in the in the the Philly series. Uh, the team that scored first won every time, and the team that scored first three times was was Philadelphia. And I, I think the only way you can look at that is to say that the Braves' uh, starting pitching failed them because they, in games one, three, and four, they fell behind early. And you know, they you could also say that maybe they had. Something of an excuse in that Max Fried wasn't quite himself after being ill, and that uh, uh, Spencer Strider wasn't quite himself after just coming back from a long layoff, and that Charlie Morton wasn't himself because he got hit in the elbow uh, with a ball. But but still, the the point the the greater point is the Braves the Braves fell behind and they never could catch up. Justin, I thought this was uh, interesting question that, that Snick got in his postseason news conference last week about 
does he think he'd have done anything differently? I personally don't. We didn't play good. We didn't play good enough to win that last series. We got beat. And, and um, you know, we, we didn't do a lot of things well. You know, we're, we're a better team than, than what we played this, in this division series. But that's the whole idea of the play. You know, you want to get in because you just never know where you, where you might be. Second guessing is the really fun part about the playoffs, right? right. But, I mean, can you really second guess anything? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I've thought this one up and down a wall, especially as we've written about it. We've done podcasts about the end of the season. I don't. I just don't think so. You lose with your guy Max Fried on the mound, game one. Kyle Wright's the obvious game two starter. I actually think the Spencer Strider plan blew up in their face, but it was probably the right decision. Like I think Spencer Strider, if you can get him there for three, four innings, which after two innings he looked like he was going to be able to pitch those for you. I think that gives you the best shot to win. I just think they just got outplayed they were beat uh in the playoffs a lot of it is two out you know two out hitting timely hits all those things um hitting with runners in scoring position the Braves didn't do any of that the Phillies did a lot of that um and save for that three-run inning against Zach Wheeler the Braves offense just didn't do much and I think when you looked at avoiding the wild card and stacking the deck in their favor with their starting pitching they were able to do all of that and had a five-day break, which, yes, we've discussed, could be, could have been bad. But they got to stack the deck in their favor how they wanted it, align it how they wanted it, and they still lost. And I just think it comes down to the matchups. Like, Ranger Suarez allowed a run to the Braves over three and a third innings in that game one. That's not Aaron Nola. That's not Zach Wheeler. The Braves were supposed to get to guys like that. They were supposed to get to the rotation depth, the middle relievers. They just didn't. Uh, they were just outplayed. And when you get to the playoffs and Snit in that Zoom call and Alex Anthopoulos both mentioned the randomness and how it takes getting hot and everything breaking right and momentum and things like that, the Braves were the beneficiaries of all of that, as Mark just mentioned, last year. And this team, which was a better team top to bottom and might have been the best roster in baseball top to bottom up there with the Astros, the Dodgers, they just didn't have any of that, and it's not how you play over 162 games at this point. It's how you play over five, um, and they only made it to four, and they just were outplayed. Like I don't really – the only thing in that series you probably could have second-guessed was throwing Strider in game three, maybe saving for game four uh, so your bullpen isn't in such a bad spot, but that just didn't really come you know, to mean anything because the Phillies jumped on them in Philadelphia. One thing, too, is that uh, I, I thought the Braves' biggest advantage in the series was, uh, well, there the two, really, that, that they had Freed and um, uh, Kyle Wright teed up to go in games one and two, and the Phillies had Ranger Suarez to go because they had to play the uh, the the series against uh, St. Louis. So they, they had already spent... Uh, Wheeler and uh, Nola for for one playoff game. That, I thought, should have been an advantage. Uh, But the other advantage was that that the Braves fell so far behind so quickly that they really didn't give themselves a chance to do a whole lot against the Phillies' bullpen. Now, they they cut it to one run in in game one when when Olsen hit the three-run homer in the ninth. But you know, in, in games three and four, they were so far behind that, it, you know, the Phillies bullpen would have really have to been, would have had to been 
flat out terrible to mess those leads up, and and they didn't. And and I thought that that uh, that I, I thought that was that was the, that was going to be the difference in the series, and it turned out to be um, something that was really not much of a factor. And that was really surprising because I think when you looked at it, if you're the Braves, you want to see Andrew Bellotti in the middle innings. You want to see Connor Brogdon, all those guys. And the Phillies, like you mentioned, Mark, were able to pretty much trot out Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado. And those guys have been erratic in the past, but they're pitching really, really well now, well into the, you know, L, you know the CS against the Padres. They're still pitching well. And the Braves, like you mentioned, didn't just didn't have a chance to exploit those guys in middle relief. I mean, games were over by then. Um, and I think, you know, it might have been too late in the series, but I, I was just very surprised that this Braves team didn't take advantage of a Phillies bullpen game. Noah Syndergaard is not the same guy that the Braves saw when he was in New York um, that they dubbed Thor. And then that I thought that was a really, really good chance for them to get a win on the road and then go back to Truist Park for game five. And they didn't really even dent the bullpen then. I mean, other than three solo shots, there just wasn't much to, to write home about. Now, in the, in the last week since the Braves have been knocked out, this has come up quite a bit, so let's go ahead and get it out of the way. The format um, discussion. Braves and Dodgers have terrific years, and they're done. But it didn't seem to bother anybody on the American League side. So, Brian Snitker, how much did that five-day layoff hurt you? I worried about that going in. You know, and I think I said earlier, I said three days is plenty. Five days, six days is probably too much. It's the way the system is. You know, and you and we were. We, we let that thing eat last week of the season trying to chase the division and we did we got we you know we won the division that's what we wanted to do um but um yeah you know it's if that's the system and i i don't know how i thought we did about as good as we could and under the circumstances of keeping the guys sharp as sharp as we can it's that line right there mark we did as good as we could under the circumstances that's coming from a 101 win team that's supposed to allegedly have an advantage do you think it's fair um, I, I don't really, this is one of those that, that I don't know that we ever proved this one way or the other that, you know, is rest better than Russ. I, I don't know. I would rather have been the Braves and had the first two games at home and game five at home, if, if there had been one, uh, and have my pitchers ready than I would have been the Phillies, uh, going into that series. I mean, the Phillies, had to play two very difficult games uh, in St. Louis, and they had been on the road for like more than two weeks. I, I don't think the Braves have any excuses there. And and you know it, even after even after the the bad game one, the Braves were kind of lucky in the sense that uh, Hoskins butchered a ground ball that led to the big inning. The, the really the only inning where anybody scored. And they won that game, the game two, three, nothing. So now it's, now you're tied. You're going on the road. You're tied. You split on the road. You come back and you got Matt, Max Freed on full rest. So, you know, I, I, I still think the series was there for the Braves to win. They just didn't win it. And, and, and I, th- I think as Justin has said too, the thing that is, is so, even now it's good. And I think it'll always be a little bit hard to believe is just that how this team that was so, resourceful and and so professional during the regular season and and of course during the postseason last year just seemed to be when they fell behind they just seemed to be listless but 
you know, when you don't hit, that's how you look. You look, you look like you're not trying, even though you are. And the fact that uh, Swanson and Riley didn't do much of anything in the series, I mean, and they're two of the biggest guys in the, on, in the lineup. That's uh, that was a big deal. So how should history look at the 2022 Braves? Here's Dansby Swanson. You know, there's so much to be proud of this year, obviously. You know, first time getting to 100 wins since 2003. 20-game uh, winner in Kyle. Um, you know, some career highs for guys. Uh, just best record in baseball since June 1st. Uh, there's so many things that I feel like we did well and grew in. And just feel like just the, the preparation to win every day. But also at the same time, I mean, not winning in the end. Also, it in a way, it feels like failure, you know, and that's, I feel like, the hardest part uh, to come to terms with um, because it was so successful for so long. There's a lot of parallels, Mark, to the 93 team, which you wrote about in your Bradley's Buzz newsletter, which you can only get if you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's subscribe.agency.com slash podcast. Um, but you said that 93 team was the best ever. Where does this Braves team rank? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's probably top five in Atlanta history. Uh, I mean, they were really good. 101 games uh, in, at, a, at a time where you're you've got another 101 game, 101 game winner in your division, and you have a team that could be going to the World Series in your division. That's a pretty big deal. And given that they they started slowly and and then got so good for so long. Uh, no, this, this was an excellent team. And, and they, you know, I, I know they've lost. Uh, and, and now, you know, we always, we always look back on stuff and think, well, that was destined to happen. Well, it, you know, you don't know about that. I mean, one play in, in game one, maybe uh, if, uh, if the right fielder doesn't catch uh, Castellanos and Contreras' ball. Yeah. The Braves may have the tying run on third there. You know, if they win, if they pull that game out, maybe they sweep. And and that was that the Castellanos catch reminded me of of the the one that that changed the series back in 1993, which you know the Braves were leading uh, two to one going into the game four, and uh, the Phillies got ahead and Lemke hit a ball that looked like it was going to drive in the tying run and and maybe uh, break the uh, swing the game the Braves way. And Milt Thompson, a former Brave, runs it down at the base of the wall, and then they lose that night. They lose the next day in extra innings, and they go up to Philadelphia. And Greg Maddox gets hit in the uh, shin by, or I guess in, on the quad, uh, with a ball that Dave Hollins hits back to him. So, and isn't the same afterwards. So it, you know, playoffs playoffs are weird. They can, they can go really fast one way, and then they can turn. And the this series just never turned. All right, coming up, a look back at how the major storylines of the season played out. This is the Braves Report for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. What's so great about being a Kroger Boost member? Free delivery on the Kroger products you love and more rewards, too, like double fuel points on everything you buy. Experience a new level of membership, starting as low as $59 a year with Boost by Kroger Plus. Learn more at Kroger.com today. 
The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Right, we do want to thank everybody, of course, for being along for the ride in our first year of the Braves Report podcast and we have so much more to offer here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. All of Justin's reporting, all of Mark's columns, terrific layouts and photos in our e-paper, Bradley's Buzz newsletter, the Braves Report newsletter. And you get all that if you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So you can get unlimited digital access to the AJC right now for 99 cents for your first month. So, so go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know. What's really going on? And we try to set the standard for Braves coverage. And if anything, a new standard has now been set for this team. I told the players earlier, I mean, he said, we've worked really hard to set that bar high. It took a lot of time, a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication organizationally from the players, front office, everybody to set that bar where we got it right now. And that was the whole goal in the beginning. Um, and, and we've got it there. And these guys in that room and, and everybody in the organization, we expect to do good. We don't hope to win anymore. We expect to win. Justin, this is still a pretty young team, but they're not the plucky underdogs anymore. No, they've, they've arrived. I mean, they're not going to be baseball's up-and-coming darlings like they have been. They're not sneaking up on anybody. If anything, they've got a bigger target on their back than they've probably ever had because I think opposing teams see them as loaded now. Like, they're that you know, Dodgers juggernaut type, you know, like with how many, how much young talent they have, how that young talent has played. And the other pieces of the core, the Matt Olsons, the Austin Riley's, the guys who are now established big leaguers. Um, this team is, should be really good in the future, but I think that's probably my takeaway from this season is um, this, and this is a soft opinion to some, but if you, you know, there's so much randomness in the playoffs, um, as Mark was just talking about, and like Alex and Snit always talk about that. You just never know what's going to happen. It's difficult to judge a major league baseball team solely on if it won a World Series or not. I think this could be the year that we look at the Braves and maybe it turned for the better, where they're not, you know, they're not just coming out of a rebuild with a bunch of up and coming guys. Like they're established now, they're here to stay. Um, they've given guys extensions. They should contend for most of this decade, uh, if not all of it, if things go well. Now that's really hard, but to keep things going. But right now they've got a very good foundation for a sustainable winner. Um, and I think that's what you can point to. Some teams that get hot in October don't look like they'll be the same next year. It wouldn't be surprising to see the Braves win 101 games next year. And I think that's the best thing I can say about them is I don't think that was any fluke. They started slow. Will they play that good a ball after June 1st next year? Probably not. That's really hard to do, but they don't, you know, they didn't give themselves a lot of room for error uh, with the start they had. Um, but if they won 100 games next year, it wouldn't surprise me. And I think they're just becoming that. They're just good. They're not, there's no fluke to it. They didn't get hot. You know, it, they're just really good, really talented, and they've got a deep roster. And organizationally, they're functioning very well. 
I totally agree with that. And and the thing that I think that I that I'll remember from this year was if we want to talk about flukes, you know, an '88 win team winning the World Series last year was kind of fluky. In in you know, if you look at it in the big picture, they they were the worst team record wise that qualified for the playoffs, and they won the World Series. Now that that team was was much better in in October than it was say in June. Uh, they had an outfield then, but you weren't quite sure how they would come off that. And what they did is they came off an '88 win year that saw them win the World Series, and they won 101 games, which is, I think, as far as I can tell, that's unprecedented. That that's the most any World Series defending champ has ever improved year over year, and th- and that tells you something. That t- that tells you that, you know. If that was a fluke, then this team and and its run that it's on is not a fluke. I mean, they, this is five years in a row now they've done this. I think they won 97 in uh, 2019. That was a team that could have won the World Series if they hadn't lost that very uh, game four in St. Louis that could well have gone either way and maybe should have gone the Braves way. But So there's no such thing as a fluke-proof team. The Dodgers have certainly proved that. But I, I think the the thing that w- we see now with the Braves is it's going to be very hard for them not to make the playoffs. I mean, they'd have to mess up pretty badly with with a, with a three wild cards per league now. It, it would not be a surprise to see the Braves making 10 postseasons in a row. And, and, and look at all the players that arrived this year. In spring training, we did not really discuss William Contreras and Spencer Strider except kind of the last guys to make the roster. Contreras becomes an all-star. Strider is a Rookie of the Year candidate. He's going to lose to Michael Harris, who was not in the discussion at all in February and March. And, oh, Kyle Wright finishes his first big league season with 21 wins. So, Mark, how do you feel about this next wave of baby Braves? Are they here to stay? Well, I, I think that's exactly what that's, that is. Is in, We saw that back in the 90s when the, the, the worst of first team of 91 began to, gave way to, to give way to the second wave, which was uh, Klesko and Chipper and Javi Lopez uh, and Kevin Millwood and guys like that. And, you know, it, they just kept right on going. And this year, we, you, you just named all the names, Strider, Harris, Vaughn Grissom, um, Matt Olson, who takes Freddie Freeman's place. Um, they were a good team last year, obviously, especially at the end, and they got better. You know, things happen in baseball, but when the Cubs won the World Series in, in 2016, people thought, oh, you know, you know, look, with all these young guys they put together, they're going to they're gonna win for the next five years. Well, they didn't. But I, th- I think the Braves are, are, are in a position that, that not many teams have been in. They have enough people under contract right now that they they can afford to be pretty choosy about who they they need to go out and add uh, if they need to add anything at all. And you know I, I don't think we're going to see them going out and throwing a, you know four hundred billion dollars or whatever at Jake Degrom. I mean I, I I don't think they need to do that. And you know they. Uh, Kyle Wright is an example of that, uh, and Strider is an example of that. 
you know, they they their farm system isn't as as bountiful as it was because so many people have graduated, but the guys that the Anthopolis regime has dra- has drafted have been really really well chosen, and uh, and you know we saw three of them this year. Twenty twenty two we can look at as the year of the extension. How much risk is there in Olson, Riley, Harris, and Strider that have been locked up? Oh yeah, I mean. Just from the standpoint of years, there's a considerable amount of risk. Um, Olsen for eight. Now we kind of know what he is. Is does Riley keep getting better? But that's just from the years. Like if you look at the whole picture, I don't think there's a ton of risk because if payroll continues to rise as they expect it to, then you say, well, even if Austin Riley's only this slugger even if he only hit if that's all he did and he was just streakiest hitter in the world but still gave you 25 home runs i think in eight years or seven years you would say well yeah like 21 point you know 21 millions worth that or or you know for olsen same thing they're just not paying anybody a ton per year they've maxed out pretty much at 22 million for these and like i guess the risk comes in a guy like spencer strider what if he gets hurt what if he has, you know, has to have Tommy John again, whatever. But that's the risk you're going to take with literally anybody if you're doing extensions like that. I think you kind of have to take calculated risks to put yourself in a position that, as Mark described, is pretty pretty unprecedented. Um, teams really don't usually get to keep the window open because they're giving extensions like this that appear like they appear team-friendly. Um but they're also player friendly because they're giving players with not a but really not no track record uh these extensions. I would be very surprised if Michael Harris did not get a lot better. I would be very surprised if Spencer Strider dropped off. I would be very surprised if Austin Riley was a lot worse than what he currently is. I think they know what they have in these guys. And I think that's what Alex does about as well as anybody in the game is he knows his own system and he knows his own guys and he knows what he has in them from not only a tools perspective, but just a makeup perspective. So I think, yeah, sure. If you're talking about the risk and maybe you look in six, seven years and you're like, man, that Riley deal was, was kind of a miss, you know, like the Ozuna one's a miss or whatever, but they're just not paying anybody in extraordinary amount per year that I think that even if that did occur, there are ways they could get around that and still contend like i don't think there is a ton of risk in these could they not work out sure but is it gonna really hamstring them in the future i don't think any of the deals is slanted enough to do that generally speaking too uh what justin said is is absolutely right that these are well considered risks um if you do overpay for somebody on a long-term contract it's apt to be a pitcher because pitchers hurt their arms and uh, the Braves have really only done one pitcher, Strider, with a long-term deal. Now they may have to do that with with Freed and with uh, and with Kyle Wright, but you know you can never be sure of anything. But it's a little easier to project a position player than it is to project project a pitcher, simply because pitchers pitchers are solely dependent on the health of their arm. Now we just spent a considerable amount of time talking about Matt Olson in this preseason. It felt like he had kind of a below his standard year, and yet he still hit 30 homers, had over 100 RBIs, and an OPS over 800. Mark, is that kind of his floor? 
you would, you, I'm sure the Braves hope it is. And if it is, it's, you know, it's not terrible. Uh, it's not a Freddie Freeman uh, type of, you know, MVP season, but it was pretty good. And he was certainly very important down the stretch. He was one of the few guys that uh, did anything in the postseason. I, I you know, I, I think that the Braves have to hope that, that this was a, a down year for him. Uh, because if you look at it numerically, it, it it was. But sometimes guys have trouble a little bit switching leagues, uh, and you know sometimes the guys have down years. But if that's if that's as bad as it gets for Matt Olson, I you know I, I think the Braves would probably be okay with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, Mark hit it right on the head. I just think if that's around as bad as it gets, or if that's his floor. Now, he has great guys hitting around him, but that's still a great run producer for you in the middle of that lineup um, and toward the top of that lineup, wherever he's going to hit, you know, for the next seven years. I just think that you, I mean, you kind of know what you're getting with him. He's a slugger. That's what he's been. Um, but we saw a lot of hit ability. And what I mean by that is we saw like the doubles um, come in droves, you know, earlier in the season. He was really, really valuable for that lineup. And I think a lot of his year, the numbers might not be where they are because of a couple big, big slumps. Um, that one in September was the most recent, obviously. But I just think that, is he Freddie Freeman? No, you know, not yet. But I think in doing that deal, I think the Braves were betting on him being a better long-term bet uh, at a better cost than they could have had Freddie for. And Freddie was going to be 38 by the end of that deal, you know, if he took it um, 37-38. And so I just think that with Matt Olson, a lot of that is a kind of a long-term play. And if this is his floor, then I think the Braves are are going to be very happy with their lineup uh, if all the other pieces are in it. All right, now time for the Ask Justin segment where we take Braves fans' questions on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Uh, first question is not actually a question, but it's from Jesse. I've enjoyed listening to the podcast this year. Thank you. Looking forward to next season. Well, we thank you. Yeah, guys. thanks, Jesse. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, we've enjoyed doing it. From Budman006, is there an update on the spring training site in Northport following Hurricane Ian and any potential impact to any off-season activities that are normally occur there? Don't know of uh, the potential impact uh, to off-season stuff, but there, there was some damage, um, so they've had to kind of, luckily it seems like everybody was safe, um, but there was some damage around there um, and at the facility. Like I said, luckily everybody's safe. Don't know how long, you know, how far into the offseason it would impact guys, but I know that when the hurricane was there and, and shortly after they had moved players, you know, out of there and staff out of there and told them to, to go home, wherever that may be. From Slesko, has any succession planning been discussed in terms of Snitz retiring? Seems like he could hang it up within a couple of years. No, I mean, not that I've, I think Mark, actually, we've got a good, person on for that i mean mark what do you think i mean not that i've heard i mean i think there's not been any talk of that you know and with you know around the team at least from afar but i just think uh what do you what do you think mark well um maybe i'm a good person because i'm about a month older than snit uh snitker uh, <laughs> two legends true. yeah two legends yeah. <laughs> uh he uh i think he enjoys this but i think he's I, 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 and this is just me. I, I, this is not this is not him hinting or 
us talking off the record. This is just me looking from the outside. I think, you know, there's going to come a time here, and I think maybe within the next year, a couple of years, say, where he's going to say, okay, you know, I've, I've been in baseball now for all my life. I've won the World Series. We've had a good team. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't sure if I'd ever manage a major league team or ever do anything other than be, uh, you know, a guy in somebody's farm system or a third base coach. But now he's, you know, he's managed a team to five consecutive postseasons. He's been the all-star manager. He's been a World Series winning manager. And I think he's, you know, when you get past 65, as some of us are, you start thinking about things like, okay, how much longer do I want to do this, even though I like doing it? And how much time am I going to have left if I keep doing this for, say, another five years? And, uh, you know, it will be interesting to see what he decides. But I I could – there's a part of me that could see him saying, you know, one more year, two more years, and that may be it. Last question from Scott Appleman. What was your favorite part of year one on the Braves beat? Ooh. Um, I felt like – I think the probably the big picture – uh, you had the extensions, so you kind of had the team like this is not the Braves team I stepped into when I got this job. I mean, this feels like a completely new team. I mean, there's the same pieces, but you just have, you know, the extensions and then you have the rookies. I mean, I think overall the coolest part, I would say, was was big picture and like getting to cover kind of what could be a new era for this club going forward. I mean, there's so much good that happened this year and then so much change from the Maddles and trade to signing Kenley Jansen, just all these things that happened from day one in spring training. And I think that big picture to look back maybe in like 10 years and say that I, I covered one of the kind of the, one of the, probably the iconic teams in Braves history. They, they hope eventually would be, would be pretty cool. If I could say one thing here, this was Justin's first year on the beat for the AJC. And I, I just want to say how much I enjoyed reading what he wrote because uh, I thought he did a tremendous job. I thought his well-written, well-reported, everything you'd want in a beat writer. And I, uh, you know, I've been around a lot of good people here and uh, I am very, very happy that Justin is on our staff right now. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate that. There is uh, quite a strong collection of baseball knowledge here at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and it has been <laughs> added to uh, with uh, Justin Toscano. Now, uh, winners of the week, uh, we'll make this sort of a, a season award. Biggest winner of the season. Uh, Justin, you first. I'll go with Dansby Swanson. Um, <laughs> I just think from afar, I remember watching him, and you just never knew. Um, and, Mark, you covered him through all that time. You just never knew if he would turn into that consistent hitter and it looked like sometimes he just looked awful at the plate. Other times he was lost. He could always play defense. But just seeing the way he had a career year in a contract year, no less, and then did it on all sides. I mean, he did it at the plate. He did it out at shortstop. He did it in the clubhouse uh, when Freddie left. I mean, I just, I just think he's got to be the winner of the season for me, you know, I would either pick him or Michael Harris uh, for different reasons, but I, I'm going to go with Dansby just because I think in a contract year to have the career year he did after one of their leaders departed was really, really impressive. Mark? 
I would say Dansby, too, because I think he's about to be a winner of a different kind here. Yes, he uh, is. <laughs> over, over the oh, winter. Yeah. Speaking of wins, the win as a pitcher has gotten devalued in the era of analytics because we, we tend to look at other stuff now. But Kyle Wright won 21 games this year. Yeah. I mean, yes. here, here's a guy who, you know, what did he work, like four major league innings or something last year? I mean, you know, you were – you weren't even sure he could get through April, and yet he was <laughs> their best pitcher in October. Uh, you know, and that game he threw against Wheeler was just a tremendous game on a very pressurized night. And uh, I had no idea he had that in him. And you know, I, I was here when they drafted him fifth overall, and I, you know, I heard all the, the talk about him, but you really hadn't seen it until this year. And I guess there, for a long time, you were thinking he can't keep this up. But he kept it up, and he was he was tremendous. Minus Travis Demerit, <laughs> he hit three twenty seven for three weeks, and then went one for thirty four, and made everybody realize it was time to give Michael Harris a shot. <laughs> oh my well, God, that's, that's like the backhanded compliment of all backhanded compliments. Travis Demerit was in fact on this team, if everybody uh, remembers, and was spectacular for three weeks. And Michael Harris was spectacular the rest of the way. And Michael Harris, I mean, gosh, the Braves would have been happy with him if he hit 245 and played the defense. He did and ran the bases like he did, but he <laughs> he ends up probably being the likely rookie of the year. Well, that's where we will uh, leave the show. Justin, we have a new feature. Uh, you know, we asked for, for people to, to tell us what they think of the podcast. Well, we now have a venue for them to do that. Uh, we have our first uh, Braves Report questionnaire. Uh, if so, if you check the show notes and the feed, uh, we've got a few questions to help us make this show a little better. So please, uh, if you've been listening every week, take a couple of minutes of your time and uh, answer our questions and uh, give us some feedback on what we can do to improve. And uh, that's where we will leave it. So please rate, uh, review, follow, share, and subscribe. And we'll be back next Monday as we preview the offseason here on the Braves Report for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.